Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from True Story FM. I'm Pete Wright. Congratulations, soldier. Today we are talking about Minute 18, which begins with a 1A stamp that Steve has been dreaming of, and it ends with a familiar snake. Joining us on the show today and all week, it's Will Johnson and Don Shanahan from the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast. Hello again, gents. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Just <laughs> on a podcast? Wow. Face for radio, guys. <laughs> well, you said people could watch this, so I, I gave that for those. People. Oh, you okay. put, that's why you put pants on today. Ah, uh, I see. Uh, okay. I'm wearing a shirt. I don't, I just podcast <laughs> naked most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> It's hot in Phoenix, y'all. It is. It's 109 right now. Oh, oh I don't goodness. care for it. Yeah. It's like 78 here. Oh, geez. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but it's a dry heat here. So we've got that going for us. Well, not <laughs> yeah, I got those things make in rain, boys. 62 and <laughs> rain. All right. So we are starting this off. Uh, we actually find out where Steve is from. Is Brooklyn, as uh, as he finally tells the truth when it comes to being in, uh, enlisted. Maybe that was the test all along, was just will he finally admit to where he's really from? Maybe that's this whole test that Erskine had. Can I actually Is there a lot of Brooklyn shame? Like, oh, God, guys, I'm know. from Brooklyn. He hasn't, uh, uh, well, we know so far, he has not, of the ones that we know about, he has not put Brooklyn on his forms. So. Yeah, because if we wait four years, you could bag Sir Sharonin if you're from Brooklyn. Come on. <laughs> There's that. There is that, yeah. too. <laughs> It's that Brooklyn movie, you know. The Brooklyn movie, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but this is what Steve has been waiting for. He finally gets the stamp. Alan Silvestri tells us it's a big moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see the 1A stamp. It's it's a great moment, right? It is. We were talking about, uh, when we were watching it together just now, we were talking about that uh, same thing. Small moves, small gestures, that sigh. That sigh and that look from, the again, the four actors that play, or the four moments that play credits. It's really solid. <laughs> Yeah, I was wondering because I I know like sometimes it is kind of just the facial replacement and they go through all these different things. But like yeah. this is one of those moments I was watching. I was like, is this a Leander sigh? Like is Leander uh, doing that great sigh and, and then it's just kind of Chris's head or is it kind of like the shrunken down Chris? What are we getting there? I don't know what it is, but it comes across uh, just perfectly. I have this image of Chris and Leander Dini reenacting that classic Blade Runner Rucker Hauer scene, if only you could see what I've seen through your eyes. Like that's the that's the kind of stuff I get out of this. That's some dark that's a dark place to go. Yeah, yeah, that's where that's where I go. Yeah. I also have this thing where maybe just now, and it's probably Will's fault for retcon oh, the way I think everything about is. Captain America. There we go. That wouldn't it be crazy if in some future movie they reveal that uh, Steve Rogers was actually talented Mr. Rippling his way through the whole thing and none of his story checks out. He's not from Brooklyn. He's from Kansas City. <laughs> and he's just been lying the whole time. It's a huge grift. A con, I tell you. Wow. wow. I mean, I, yeah. I think going minute through minute through these movies is starting to hurt you a little bit. <laughs> he's got a few to go. Yeah. I'm worried about where we're going to end up in a few more movies down the road. Steve might, or uh, Pete might crack. <laughs> <laughs> there's a couple talking about there's a couple of movies coming where there's some minutes where i'm like oh boy this could break this could break a purse <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that, so this is a very short little piece here that we have um it's a great little moment do we want to say anything else about this or should we move on 
we mentioned it briefly earlier, just a production design, real sharp. Um, in uh, in just the um the yellowed kind of jaundice kind of Norman Rockwell tint of it, almost a sepia tone to the lighting there that obviously we're going to get a tonal switch as we're already starting to get to, to the, the cold and the gray that comes with the German side coming up next where um, the cinematographers work, work in the light. And I, I, I dig it. Yeah. I've spent more time in the recruitment center the last couple hours than <laughs> yeah, let the record so show. Re- ready to <laughs> ready to move on. <laughs> All right. Well, we are taking a shift in the story here. Uh, we're going to the, uh, the the mountains in the Austrian Alps. Uh, that's uh, as uh, you know the fantastic. Um, MCU uh, locations guide. Uh, you know, we've we've had uh, uh, Jay Shepard from that uh, site on the show in the past. He has pinned down where this takes place. Roughly, it is in the Alps, based on maps that you'll find out uh, that the Allies hold later on. But yes, we are up in the mountains in Austria right now, and uh, you know, it's. I mean, it's beautiful Alps. This is definitely not like any sort of place you'd want to go skiing or anything. This is like insanely um, uh, hazardous sort of mountain ranges, but it's beautiful. It's a beautiful vista. I have a feeling it's probably maybe some stock imagery blended with some CGI to kind of create this, particularly this big uh, cliff wall we have in front of us with this massive, massive uh, window in the side of it. Thoughts as we come upon this window in the wall in the Austrian Alps. I'll kind of tip my hat to Silvestri, masterful scene change of mood and music, you know, to kind of hit that stinger of we're going to a different place now, you know, and he nails it. He's perfect. Uh, the only thing that I really uh, want to say about this window and this, this giant cliff wall, this is exactly what you get in villain layers, right? Like, oh, yeah, totally. Like this is, These are feels- on Zillow. It right, feels, we it, could get those. Yeah, it, it, very comic book, very comic book. It, very this comic is book. actually just like a New Hope. They actually left this lair in the Alps. Like you can go find it. They left. <laughs> yeah, oh, like Tunisia with the. Yeah, it's like Tunisia. <laughs> Good reference. I like that. <laughs> Uh, it 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 does have kind of like this James Bondy sort of feel. Like there's yeah. this element of like this impossible location for villains to have set up, and you know it's kind of fun. Um, and that we, I didn't point out we do actually see a figure standing in the window, so you can get a sense of it. And of course, it is a return to a character that we saw a few minutes ago in uh, in film time in a like a year. Was it about a year and? a uh, half ago in uh, story time that is of course Schmidt he's staring out the window and he turns we are now inside his it's called uh Schmidt's office lab that's where we are and uh we have Hugo weaving again as Schmidt talking to Toby Jones as Dr. Arnim Zola uh Toby Jones gentlemen um mm-hmm. let's uh, before we jump into kind of getting into all of this I want to do the IMDb game with all of you for Toby Ooh, Jones as we love we to go. do with our actors when they first pop up uh, Toby Jones has been in many, many films, and uh, this is his uh, break into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Fantastic actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, the IMDb game is, of course, looking at the four films that the Internet Movie Database says this particular actor is known for. And I'd love to find out from the four of you, what would you say are the four oh. films that IMDb says he is known for? His top four? Do yeah. we sh- Without Marvel. It may or may not be. I'm not going to say. Oh, well, then that's easy. It's this one. Winter yeah. Soldier, Winter Soldier. This one, uh, his Capote film, and probably his Capote film. Yeah, he did a, a Capote. No, I know, but I just I know, but as was the title I, of it? I, I couldn't tell you. No, as I was going to talk about Toby Jones in a minute, like that's 
I think yeah. people forget he was in the Capote film. But yeah, um, I think those are his fourth one. Would be another QT. Hitchcock one he did. I don't know. Hitchcock. Hitchcock. Oh, sorry. It's Hitchcock. <laughs> <laughs> PG show guys. That's my personal superhero, by the way. Witchcock. I love. Yeah. Uh, you don't even so want my know license plate next month. Yep. You don't want to know what the powers. Uh, yeah, are. I don't want to ask no, about that no. one. Uh, I like that picky Hitchcock though. Yeah, that those four. Okay, I just have one that I want to throw into the mix because because I honestly I I don't I don't know. It's one of those where I know once I see it, I know exactly what we're sure. talking about. But the one that we just did on the show not long ago it, that uh, it turns out I really love is The Mist, and I'm saying that because I know he was in it and because uh, <laughs> it's fresh. So that's the only one I offer for your consideration. The rest I'm I are a toss up for me. Go with that. So. A Capote film, which is uh, In Cold Blood, right? It's called Infamous. In In Cold Blood was actually what uh, Capote wrote, uh, but Infamous was his movie, yeah. I'm going to say Infamous, two cat films, and I'll still put... Do you want to put The Mist over Hitchcock, Will? Oh, yeah, for sure, yeah. Then The Mist, yeah. The Hitchcock one was, I believe, The Girl, right? Is that the one? The TV movie that he did about uh, making the birds? Oh, yeah, that's I know. That's, that's, yeah, I'll get into my Toby. I will tell you, there are no TV movies on here, so so you can take that one. Ah, okay. I, I'm going to my four in. Big franchises he's been in, because he's been in some stuff. There's, there's, it's been it's in an interesting... Let me, let me tell you what they are. You, you got yeah. uh, two. Um, he was in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. He pay, played Ooh, Percy oh, Alaline. Dang it. In that yeah. one. Oh, man. Totally. That's a clear one. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good uh-huh. one. Another franchise uh, that he was in was The Hunger Games. He played Claudius Templesmith. Ah, I Hunger was this Games. close. Okay. But Those not two. Those two. Ever come back around to that. Yeah. And then Captain America, the first Avenger, and The Mist. So. Good job hey. pulling that one, Pete. Not Winter Soldier. Okay. Not, cool. not Winter right. Soldier. I know. That's the one Thank that you, you think fanboys of IMDb. Yeah. <laughs> it's always you, curious fanboy. what the IMDb algorithm ends up saying a person is oh. looking for. So. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, let's talk about this character. So we're meeting Zola. What I love about it is we meet him as a face on a screen. And yeah, I think yeah, that's totally a perfect way. That's what I wanted to talk about because that's yeah. kind of the it's kind of the brilliance of the MCU, too, is um even though they never take themselves too seriously because you do have talking trees and gods <laughs> with capes and stuff, they, they know how far to push it. And I, I like that they give a little shout out to the comic, which obviously the character in the comics uh, is an insane thing to put in a movie because it's, it's the, the face is on the chest and then it's got like a ro- little mini robot head. And, you know, it's, it's just something that you can't do, but it's like a little nice little shout out to the, the Jack Kirby design of, you know, this green face kind of trapped in this little shell, letting you know, like, okay, comic guys, here's Zola for you, you know, mm-hmm. and then introducing the character. And then they, they one up it in winter soldier by making it kind of having that cool computer program yeah. thing. Um, yeah. I, I love that little nod to the comics and uh, yeah. And that's a great, a great point because, you know, there are times where, they kind of play around with switching a character up that work better than others. Like sometimes they do that and people are like, Oh, I really don't like how they changed that character. But that's interesting because I mean, the, what the, the way that they kind of did that here, I do think it works. It's pretty, pretty effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This movie in general does that because, you know, I think a lot of people, when they think of a lot of superheroes, they're like, how are they going to translate this? You know, you could go the full, complete redesign approach that Brian Singer did with X-Men, just make them all wear leather. 
or you can try to find ways to modify the stuff. And not only do they do that with Zola here in a very in its mini thing, but they also do it with Captain America when he's selling war bonds, you know, that he has the goofy boots on and the webbed, you know, the webbed body armor and, you know, the goofy wings on his, like they, it's, it's almost like giving respect to the comics, but making it part of the narrative too, like kind of a, and saying like, yeah, we can make this a little bit more realistic and more movie. Like, you know, when, when we're serious as opposed to, um, yeah. Cause Arnim Zola in, it is one of those Marvel characters. That's just, you know, inconceivable to see it on screen i mean you know <laughs> wouldn't make sense at all well especially at this point in time right i mean mm-hmm. we, we have yeah. like i feel like post guardians of the galaxy sure if they wanted to go and like all of a sudden kind of go that route and kind of create that crazy version of the character it mm-hmm. might be a little easier to buy into but at yeah. this point in time like Thor, Thor was already a stretch for people to kind of go into the cosmic realm. And now we're going back to the forties to kind of like introduce something crazy like that. It might've been, it might've been kind of like the end of, of the attempt at creating this, uh, this, uh, franchise. It's a cute little nod to the comics moving on, you know, and getting the character set up and, uh, great, great. Uh, I, I love Toby Jones and, um, uh, I always feel bad for him because, he always gets cast in roles that really fit him really well physically and acting wise. And then it seems like a lot of them always get upstaged by a bigger actor in a bigger movie, like first Capote and Hitchcock, you know, when, when he made those movies, there was a bigger production, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman won an Oscar for playing Capote, you know, and Toby Toby Jones was playing Capote. And then, you know, Anthony Hopkins played Hitchcock in a movie that came out at the same time that he played Hitchcock. It just always seems like he's getting uh, a little uh, put in the rearview mirror a little bit, but he's actually really, really reliable, great character actor. Yeah. And, and for me, since we've been talking about accents here and there with these character introductions, we've been getting, he's another one of those ethnic chameleon kind of guys where he's as British as British can be, but you know, here he is twisting a German accent ever so perfectly to kind of wither within that man as being a subordinate and it works. I feel like I see him playing accented people more often than I ever see him playing British. Like I'm trying to I think know, same. like the last time I saw him in a British performance. And I, I know I have. I just can't think of it off the top of my head. Well, now it's Tinker Taylor. Well, yeah, yeah there you go. True. Very true. <laughs> well, even I mean, even with Chris, I mean, Chris does his best to hide his Bostonian broness, you know, with that yeah. lower register for New York toughness. It works in these movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In a movie full of big accents. Yeah. <laughs> He's doing a good job of just toning it down. Yeah. This is, uh, you know, I talked about this a little bit uh, in the last minute with with Erskine kind of being like the good version of a mad scientist. Here we have a guy who, I mean, just we see him on this this. I don't know, a funky, I'm not sure what he's doing here. He's got, we're, he's, we're on like the, a, a round kind of magnified monitor of some sort that he's looking into and then we we pan over to him and it looks like a telescopic uh i don't know what it is but that's where he's kind of pulling his information or he's we're pulling his image from um but he i mean this it seems like a secret lab like he seems like this mad scientist fiddling with gears i mean Mm -hmm. um how does how does he read in this minute to to all of you I mean, I've been talking about motives this week with you guys where, I mean, I think it comes into play more in the next minute than this one. But uh, I think he's in it for the science. I think he really wants to design these amazing, awesome weapons that put him on the map for either favor with the Nazi party and favor with Schmidt or just um, 
or for the science of making something truly amazing. I, I see him as that. That's his motive isn't as as mythologically based as Schmidt's or as um, you know deadly and serious as the Nazi cause itself. I think he's there for the science. I think the real question is how close is he on the spectrum of science for good, science for evil to Erskine? Right. I mean, that that actually like were it not for the the flap of a butterfly's wing in Queens, um, could it have been Zola in the super soldier program for the U.S.? Yeah, I think it's a it's a matter of circumstance. I think he's in it more for the survival because someone was like, we're going to use you. It was unfortunate because Erskine had the ability to escape and he probably didn't. Yeah. You know, I think it's more like he's going up because he does get shocked later at like the power that has been bestowed. I mean, he eventually, you know, he, he always seems to be like, he's almost like Shmi to Captain Hook or something. He's always kind of like, well, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to work, you know? Like, I don't know if that's going to work. You know? Let's do it anyway. Yeah. yeah. He's got a, a little bit of doubt in him about how far, he always seems yeah. shocked about how far Red Skull is willing to go to do stuff. I will always so picture um, him now as Schmidt's Schmidt 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 Yeah, Schmidt Schmidt. That's going to play well for the next sixty hours. Yeah, yeah. No, um, does his loyalty? I think I think right away his loyalty and carefulness and patience come through. You well, know, I like, mean, yeah. His first line: "My machine requires the most delicate calibration." Like, he, yeah, very. Forgive me if I seem overcautious. Yeah, he's being very meticulous. Yeah. As is Erskine, other than our whiskey scene in a little while. But yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, he and he and you're talking about the science thing. I mean, they get into in Winter Soldier, they get into some of the more murky aspects of you know the Operation Paperclip when we kind of gave a lot of Nazi and or Nazi sympathizers a pass yeah, and right. let them let them continue their experiments, you know, in the United States right. for for the good of whatever, which will come to bite everybody right. uh, at least in Shield in the future, but. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously he, I think compared to Red Skull, he's not quite as evil, but I think he definitely has intentions and, and things he wants to accomplish that are not good. (laughs) Yeah. And and we'll definitely talk about that in the next minute as we start hearing kind of what some of what he's thinking with some of what, what they're working on here. Going into the kind of the science of all this, I do love the way that that Schmidt kind of throws out the next line that just it's it's such a written kind of movie line just to kind of get the science out the door. You know, we have to just we were doing something scientific and it's just like, are you certain that those conductors of yours can withstand the energy surge long enough for transference? Whatever the heck that means. Yeah. Pete, can you say that in the accent for me, yeah. please? I, why would I want to diminish that? It's, it's but you know so Toby. Perfect. You know Toby's over there going, "Dang it! I can't say that line. Dumb it down for me." You know, some thespian is, is brewing over the. You hear about it on um, what shows? Always talk about that medical shows. Like you hear Clooney talk about all the stuff he had to say in ER. He's like, "I have no clue." What I said. Yeah, no idea. Lathered through it. That's exactly what it is, because it's like, what are the, what are they trying to do here? Well, I guess that's I mean, obviously, we know. Well, at the very end of this minute, we see, OK, this is that that drawer uh, that that has the uh, the snake 
under Yggdrasil. I mean, it's been sitting around, I guess, for a year now as they've been trying to figure out what to do with it. But this is the thing that Schmidt had taken from Norway. And and here he has it. And we see the drawer. Ah, there it is. And now we know, okay, they're doing something that they're going to use the Tesseract for. We know this this power this this unlimited power that they seem to you know be hoping it's going to provide and i guess that's kind of you know kind of where we get with that we're not exactly sure what they're doing but it's it's interesting i know it's not in this minute but because that's how we're introduced to these characters in a sense i mean not uh, um zola but red skull i i think this is the, the this is the thing that makes the mcu tick is that world building i mean you can see a movie right now in theaters that has the town that's introduced in this movie uh, in it. New Asgard is the same place that this all or- originated from. Tonsberg, Norway, which actually Tonsberg. was in the last film, actually. Thor is where that started. but No, but I mean, like, you could still make those yeah, connects. Like, still like, connected. The, fact, yeah, yeah, the yeah. fact that the worlds are connected and the fact that Yggdrasil, the world, you know, the all that stuff is is in there is... Um, just lit, those are the little things that help you build a universe yeah. that make them more consistent. I think a lot of people go for the home runs right away and try to make these connections with cameos and stuff. These are the these are the bones of connecting a, yeah. a unified universe. So, yeah, uh, I do want to chat a little bit about um, the the uh, images that we have Schmidt looking at here. He's uh, you know he as he talks he's kind of pouring over these images that, I mean, he's obviously had forever. He's got these books here that he just does research on as he's trying to figure out what to do with this cosmic cube, this Tesseract. Uh, what I love about these images, it's it's like, I don't know, there's at least, uh, we see a book, we see a few photos, we see another uh, like framed image behind another book, more images. Like there's tons of stuff that he's obviously doing here, trying to figure out what to do, how to harness this thing. But my favorite is the book that's open. It shows a soldier holding the cosmic cube and he has a a sword in the other hand. And, and just past him is maybe a dragon that has had its head chopped off and blood is just (laughs) pouring out of the stump where the head was. And it's just, it's like the strangest little image to have <laughs> included here. Like, just this is this bloody, dying animal uh, at the foot of the cosmic I saw, I saw a footnote in IMDb Trivia where it talked about the actual carving depicts the hero Sigurd helping the smith Regan forge a sword, which Sigurd will use to slay the dragon Fafnir. The Tesseract has been photoshopped in between the two men. That read into any more of the research you guys have been digging in? Uh, it sounds like, um, I mean, Fafnir, uh, why do I know the name Fafnir? I can't remember. It sounds familiar to me, too. I'm just reading it to sound smart. You guys have to do the homework on it. No, I was going to say, this is a condemnation. <laughs> this is going to really sting, guys, because it's coming from me, but you guys are a bunch of nerds. I think it's funny that you notice the dragon with his head cut off. The first thing I noticed is, why does this open a portal to find a chicken? like there's a chicken right above him what's a chicken about i don't know it's well yeah it's i mean it's the we know we'll find out later that this tesseract is the space stone but it's like yeah there's all these weird images above and i guess it's is it supposed to be like asgardian imagery because there's like a viking ship there's a big mountain and stuff i i'm not really sure there's actually the the uh i can't remember what's called now the triskelion the image that was like odin's mark so i mean it clearly has some norse mythological concepts that they're doing there but 
yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I, it's very interesting. And Fafnir, I think, was just a, uh, I think that might be the dragon that's hanging out in Yggdrasil. I can't remember. I, we talked sure. about so many Norse yeah. things uh, last season. Yeah, the, the extension of the note talks about how the Sigurd story is the Norse version of the Siegfried tale, which I know you guys have referenced. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nerds. I'm just, I'm just saying, if a chicken doesn't end up in quantum mania, I'm going to be really disappointed. Oh, wouldn't that be something? <laughs> I I want that page of that book on a shirt, Pete. We need yeah. to we need to put that <laughs> yes. on a shirt. That yes, fantastic. there's but, some crafty nerd on Etsy who's done it for 13 <laughs> customers already. Come on, outstanding. <laughs> Pete, was that you? Are you that? <laughs> Craftynerd.com. <laughs> He's like, I got one of every size back right. here, guys. <laughs> Um, okay, well, I don't know. I, I mean, there's not much nice. else going on here. We're kind of at this point where they're getting ready to do their experiment. Any other thoughts as as to what's going on here from any of you? Okay, if you has anybody been to Mount St. Helens? No, I have not. I'm sorry, that was quick. No, you have. No. That was a you. You answered so eagerly. You just really. Well, to I go? studied no, in school. I really want to okay. go. Yes, that's true. So uh, this Dante's is... Peak took me there. That's it. <laughs> Can you? Are you looking at my screen? Yes, we see. I'm, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am it, right now. I'm taking this picture inside the theater, and they have just shown a movie about the history of Mount St. Helens. And the next frame I'm going to show you is the power frame, which is right after these red curtains open. Tell me, you don't see the evil lair. Oh, yeah, yeah. These <laughs> curtains open and the mountain, it's a beautiful, clear day. And we're, we've been hiding behind this glass wall that is Schmidt's and Schmidt's Schmie's mountain the whole time. And it is stunning. And I just, I, the moment we saw that, and I, you know, we were there in like 2016, but uh, the moment we saw that, I was thinking somebody, somebody was here and then made this movie because it, it looks uh, too good. Too yeah. You were there at 11.57 a.m. on May 30th, 2016. All right. right. Stopping the screen share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way to go. You ruined it for everybody. Uh There's an iCloud (laughs) fappening leak coming your way. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot of pictures to have in your drive there, Pete. 11,000. Okay. Just a few. Just a few. You'd never know that he's a photographer. Oh, darn. There it is. (laughs) Secrets out. All right. Well, I don't know if we have anything else for this minute. Let's uh, let's uh, we'll save the rest for tomorrow when we get into some actual some science, some mad science, as they science. might say. Uh, Don and Will, are you able to join us again tomorrow? I suppose so. <laughs> yeah, it's it. I'll I'll let me check the schedule. But uh, yeah, yeah I, th- I think I'll be able to make it. You'll be able to make it. I love yeah, it. Yep. All right. Remind everybody about your podcast and where they can uh, tune in. Cinephile hissy fit. Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple and Twitter and chat snaps and book faces and all those places that all the kids do. Our fax our fax number is eight seven seven. That's the one. Four three. I don't know. No. Uh, yeah, we 72. are. Yeah, seventy two. Yes. Uh, no, we. Uh, no, we're on all the social medias pretty much, um, and you can reach us there. We can have fun discussions online. I usually post a lot of nonsense. Uh, I'm kind of in charge of the social media stuff. Every now and then Don will post something and, um, and then I get mad because I'm like, Hey, this is my account, but I realize <laughs> we're a team, but uh, no, no. Yeah. So Instagram, Twitter, Twitter's probably the best place to catch me. Cause I'll be Facebook a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, just download, subscribe, uh, write a review, you know, whatever, just do it. Uh, this is why Don does this. <laughs> 
<laughs> so there you go. Well, we will have all of those in the show notes, so you can check there and just click on it. It'll take you right to their sites. So, uh, Pete, as always, thanks for uh, another fun turn on this crazy show. Mm, science! <laughs> Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.